Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 3rd. Of course, happy first day of school to all of those students making that return today, the summer finally over. I know that's unfortunate for some, but hopefully you got to enjoy your Labor Day long weekend. And of course, Westoff, give me some sort of Labor Day sound effect to start us off, please. One of the highlights for me of Labor Day weekend, always that would offset the fact that I did have to return to school, the fact that we as tennis fans treated to an incredible weekend of U.S. Open tennis Sunday, the fourth round, Monday, the second half of the fourth round, incredible results throughout, of course, Sunday night because you didn't have any obligations Monday. Hopefully, you were able to watch Stan Wawrinka and Novak Djokovic late into the night, Djokovic losing that Sunday night, obviously not a result anyone expected coming. And then, of course, you know, Sunday day, we had Ashley Barty go down. You look into Monday, Naomi Osaka goes down. A ton of upsets, a ton of crazy results, so much to talk about. Unfortunately, our very own Max Rothman, while enjoying his Labor Day weekend, uh, probably injured worse than Djokovic. He knocked out his ankle. It's nasty. We may send out a photo, although it's kind of graphic. So we were planning on doing this podcast. Unfortunately, he had to go get that ankle checked out. And, you know, I know he's feeling better, so listeners, don't worry out there. Nothing fractured, just him being his typical idiot self. But so we'll just be me steering the ship today. And with that in mind, as I mentioned, I think the place we have to start We had two number one seeds and a number two seed go down this weekend, and even with all of the upsets we saw in the first week, right, especially on the men's side, Dominic Team goes down day one, Tsitsipas, Kachinov, Roberto Bautista, Goot, all out early, but... You know, this weekend was we saw very big shifts. We see players starting to make their moves, and the place I want to start, uh, I would say we probably have to start with number two seed Ashley Barty, who loses her match um, to Chang Wang, six two six four. Now Wang obviously has been playing well this year, and you look at her, the twenty six year old comes into this as the eighteen seed. Oh, sorry, twenty seven year old comes into this as the eighteen seed. But for Ashley Barty, I mean, ever since Wimbledon, she really hasn't found her footing. You know, I think she made the semifinals of Cincinnati, but didn't play well there. Uh, lost a bunch of first sets before ultimately getting knocked out of the tournament. Uh, found herself in a lot of trouble early on in the U.S. Open this year as well. You know, coming back in her first round, she loses the first set, scrapes that match out. 
Uh, but for her, it just it really seemed like Barty hasn't been comfortable since Wimbledon. You know, she lost first round in, I believe, Toronto as well, her first first match loss of the year. And so for her, you don't want to say she's burnt out, but you have to wonder all of the success she had for the first, you know, two-thirds of the season, quarterfinals of the Australian Open. She wins Miami, wins the French Open, wins a title on grass before making the round of 16 in Wimbledon. You wonder, you know, how that played into it today. Uh, you look for Wang, the way she was able to attack Barty second serve. Barty only wins 7 of 18 points there. Barty 0 of 9 on her breakpoint chances versus Wang, who converts 3 of 6. It's funny because even with Barty's struggle, she was right there in this match. You know, she fought off multiple match points to hold down 5-3 in the second set. I think she even earned herself a couple of breakpoint opportunities with Wang serving for the match at 5-4. But credit to Wang. I mean, so relentless in this match. She really let Barty self-destruct. And for Barty, 22 winners against 39 unforced errors. A lot of them sprang forehands or slice backhands that just she left short. You know, two-handed backhands. She just didn't, she couldn't hit through properly. A lot of struggles. But for Wang, 11 winners against 14 unforced errors. She, she recognized her opportunity. She played solid, and you know, for Wang to advance here, I believe it's the first major quarterfinal of her career in single in single, so that's an incredible result, and now she's going to get the ultimate test, right? She gets Serena Williams next, and you know, for Serena Williams, she's going to hit the ball wherever she wants, whenever she wants, and a lot of playing her now is weathering the storm, is getting her extended, making Serena hit the extra ball, and what Wang was able to do in this match, making 70% of her first serves, winning 67% of those points, 65% of her second serve points, and again, fighting off all nine break points she faced, that bodes well. That's the sort of elite execution you need to have to compete when you're in round four of you know, a U.S. Open, of a Grand Slam. And so for her to get to the quarterfinals, now she's going to need to continue this level if she wants to continue her success against Serena Williams, who, as I mentioned, advances 6-3, 6-4 over Petra Martic, the number 22 seed. Uh, you look at another match on day one of the fourth round for the women's side. Joe Conta, a 6-7, 6-3, winner over Karolina Pliskova. Now, Pliskova, the number three seed, her struggles in the second weeks of majors. I, I, you don't want to say notorious, but at this point, given that she's done so many other good things, the only thing she's still missing on that resume, a Grand Slam singles title. So, you know, each to carry that sort of burden, that pressure, we've seen it happen so many times on both the men's and women's side. And for Pliskova, I actually thought she played really, really well in this match. Particularly, I think she went down 5-3 in that first set, early breaks, to fight all the way back to win that second set, 7-6. And then she goes up an early 2-1 break in the second set. Things were looking really good for her. And look, she in this match, she made you know 16 aces against 9 double faults, made 68% of her first serves, won 77% of those first serve points, 36 winners against 39 unforced errors isn't great but it's not you know it's not horrible uh she goes an efficient seven of ten at the net but where joe contest stuck out today you know not only did she convert five of the 15 break point chances she had against pliskova so creating so many chances for herself but more importantly she holds pliskova to seven of 31 on second serve points now carolina pliskova is never going to light the world on fire with her movement she's a player who if you let her set on a ball if you let her have time she's going to crush you. She's just going to move you side to side to side to side with pace, with angle, with speed. I mean, she can just do so many things with the ball. But Joe Conta, 
she knew I need to attack from ball one and that she was able to take advantage of so many Pliskova second serves, get Pliskova stretched to the outer thirds. You know, for Kanta, she made a lot of first serves herself in this match, 69%, wins 68% of those points. 50% of her second serve points holds Pliskova, you know, to 3 of 7 on break points. And given that Kanta was 5 of 15 herself, in perspective, that's not bad. 45 winners against 36 unforced errors. She won 104 total points to Pliskova's 96. She was good enough in the big moments. I mean, seriously, she got the break at 5-all. Uh, she serves out the match. I thought Joe Kanta played a really solid match. And the stat we keep turning to whenever we talk about the women's side, 12 Grand Slam semifinal spots through the three majors thus far. 12, sem- it's 12 different women have made those semifinalist spots. You know who one of those 12 women were? Joe Conta. So it's fascinating to see her get a win. And, you know, for her now, she's going to match up with Alina Svitolina, the number five seed, who put together a comprehensive 7-5-6-4 win over Madison Keys. And to be honest, I didn't even think Madison Keys played poorly. I just thought Svitolina protected her serve so well. Keys did make a lot of unforced errors, but Svitolina is moving the ball so well right now around the court. She handles pace extremely well. She's extremely athletic and get, you know, around the court, <coughs> excuse me, extend you um, as an, as her opponent, just make you uncomfortable. And I think her versus Kanta is going to be a really good match. Now, Svitolina, another one of those players who I believe made the semifinals at Wimbledon herself. So, um, Look, we've got a chance for a repeat semifinalist that's extremely rare, and it's going to be very fun to watch. Uh, Svitolina may have lost in the quarterfinals. I, I don't exactly. It was quarterfinal or semifinal range, but the point being, both of these players now experienced in the later parts of Slam, particularly Kanta. You know, she did it semifinalist French Open. Svitolina having done it even more recently at Wimbledon. These they're not going to be afraid, and given the level that they've both reflected, you know, both Williams, Wang, Svitolina, Kanta, both of those matches I believe are today Tuesday. So. It's going to be some serious high-level tennis, so be on the lookout for that. But Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. With that being said, I want to move on to the next day's results on the women's side because, as I mentioned, not only did we see number two seed Ashley Barty go down, but the next day we have number one seed Naomi Osaka losing her match 7-5-6-4 to the 13 seed Belinda Bencic now. Not to pat myself on the back, but if you listen to our mini-break episode with Coach Mark Lucero, if you listen to the GSP, Matt Zemek of Tennis with an Accent, who, by the way, their coverage has been just phenomenal throughout this tournament, so go check out TennisAccent.com. Um, but you know, Belinda Bencic was a player I had circled because the criteria she hasn't made a semifinal yet in a Grand Slam because her run to the Dubai title to make the final in Indian Wells may have been you know, one of the three one of the 10, we'll say, because there are a lot of good stretch, but one of the 10 best for sure two-week stretches we've seen from any player on the WTA this season, particularly on hard court. 
you know, she was someone I circled. She had one quarterfinal in her career at a major coming into this event. It happened at the U.S. Open, I think 2014 or 15, before she got injured the first time. Uh, this has always been a tournament, I figured, with these courts, this surface that she could thrive on. And for her, I mean, she just took the ball away from Naomi Osaka. The, the match was played on bench's terms. And she, look, she no aces against six double faults, but that's not the stat to look at. She made 61% of her first serves, one. 82% of those first serve points. Again, like Carolina Pliskova, if you let Naomi Osaka dictate like she did against Coco Goff in, in the third round, you're just not going to beat her. Naomi Osaka, too powerful off of both wings, can hurt you in too many ways. But for Benchich, again, 61% of those first serves go in. She wins 82% of her first serve points, 59% of the second serves, 10 of 10 at the net. Uh, she holds Naomi Osaka to only one break point opportunity, which Osaka converted, but still, when you can hold a returner as a dynamic as Osaka to only one break point chance, you're doing something well. She herself converts three of her seven opportunities, and a stat I like to turn to, look, 29 winners against 12 unforced errors is ridiculous, but that she held Osaka to an only 41% win percentage, 12 of 19 on second serve points. Again, Benchich recognized, I need to be the one dictating. I cannot let Naomi get uncomfortable. And that was the big thing. This match was played on Belinda Benchich's terms, and she showed, you know, people forget Naomi Osaka, 21 years old at this point, already has two Grand Slams. Belinda Benchich is 22 years old, but they're both born in 1997, and, you know, Benchich has struggled with a ton of injuries, but her level is right there. And once she gets that first slam, which you feel like is going to happen eventually— this is a girl who has the talent to rack up multiple titles. I mean, you know, 5'9", so impressive with her length, her power, the way she moves. I mean, she played, again, 12 winners against 19 unforced errors. It's about as perfect as you can get against a player like Osaka, but she has that level. She has that gear. So just be on the lookout for her, and I believe now she's going to match up with Bianca Andrescu, who was a 6'1", 4'6", 6'2", winner in the nightcap over Taylor Townsend. And boy, am I excited for that match. You look at what Bianca Andreescu did well on the day against Townsend. Uh, you know, five five aces against eight double faults, but she makes 70% of her first serves, wins 70% of those points. Taylor Townsend, another player. I mean, this seems kind of obvious, but the way Townsend likes to play, she loves making you uncomfortable. It's not the power that she's going to kill you with. It's the spin. It's the accuracy, the you know, the way the ball moves off, the dynamic bounce that you have to deal with. Is it shoulder height? Is it is she hitting you low with slices? She's changing it up the variety every time. And Andrescu knew if I get space, attack, 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 because you have to put Taylor Townsend on the defensive. And to Townsend's credit, look, to win that second set the way she did, she makes 66% of her first serves, only wins 48% of those points, but 54% on the second serve. It was very interesting. Again, Andrescu today, she holds Townsend. Townsend knew I have to come in. I have to put the onus on Andrescu to move and pass me. But Townsend only goes 16 of 40 at the net. When Andrescu got space, she found it. She attacked it. She took balls early. She played confidently. Yes, she lost that second set. But for Andrescu, 17 of 26 at the net. When you're playing someone like Taylor Townsend, who's trying to speed you up and take the net from you, that's just crazy. And I mean, she breaks Townsend six times on 13 attempts. 
33 winners against 26 unforced errors for Andrescu. Uh, she just she forces Townsend to move uh, two and a half more feet per point, which in tennis, you know, two and a half feet, that's the additional ball per point each time during the rally. Townsend, inefficient 25 winners against 24 unforced errors, but she was going to have to take chances to beat Bianca Andrescu. And look, Andrescu deserves a ton of credit for this match, but for Taylor Townsend, you know, the 23-year-old uh, was ranked, I think, right around the 80s coming into this event. For her to get the first fourth round of her uh, career at a major, when it felt very, very replicable. You look at the things she does well, and she's 23 years old. She's only going to continue to get more fit, more dynamic, put more power on her shots, more accuracy, more placement, all the things that come with experience. And you just look at her game, and you're like, oh my gosh, the opportunity for growth is immense. And Seriously, it's a credit to her because you don't see the lefty serving volleyers like that anymore, right? That's such a rare uh, thing, and it's just, it's really special. I, I really enjoyed watching her run. You look at her right now in the live rankings. I believe she is up to, what, number 70-something, number 71. Sorry, I'm scrolling through. number. Oh, sorry, number 82 right now in the live rankings, only 21 spots behind her career high of 61. But, you know, to have this sort of result in your points, uh, to know that you have a fourth round at the U.S. Open to sit on all year long, in this Asia stretch, she's going to have the chance to get into a lot of, you know, WTA events, play for higher stakes points. If she can, you know, knock out a couple more first round wins, get herself in a position, not even top 75, but if she can get top 60 by the end of the year, now you're talking, I'm getting into premier five events. I'm getting into maybe if I'm lucky premier, probably not premier mandatories, but definitely the qualities of whatever I want to sign up for. Hopefully get into some main draws as well. She is well positioned for a jump in 2020. And obviously that's the sort of thing you deserve when you reach a fourth round at a Grand Slam. So one of the we were I was going to do a winners and losers pod. Um, fortunately, our producer Daniel Westoff also away for the weekend, deserving a much deserved labor. God knows we put him through enough labor, so um, did not get the chance to talk to Matt Zemek. But if we were to have done a winners and losers from the first week. I mean, without question, Taylor Townsend, right? One of the biggest winners from week one. But as I mentioned, great week from her. Bianca Andreescu versus Belinda Bencic. That is must-see. If that match isn't the night match on Arthur Ashe, I'm going to be very, very upset. But you look through the rest of the women's results from yesterday. Elise Mertens ends the run of former Stanford player Christian 6-1-6-1. That one hurts, obviously, but you know Mertens today just too good. And then Donna Vekic, the number 23 seed, a 6-7-7-5-6-3 winner over Julia Gerges, uh, the number 26 seed. Vekic, another 23-year-old with immense talent. And, you know, Mark Lucero and I talked about her on the mini break that I think was posted Monday, maybe Sunday. I don't even remember at this point. But so uh, all of that holds true. Still, the power she's able to produce to put herself in a position to make the quarterfinals here. She's another player now. She's going to play Elise Mertens. Neither of those players have made semifinals, so we're sticking with the theme. These were the sort of players when you were looking at the draw that you circled of. If the trend of you know someone different is making a breakthrough at all of these slams is going to continue, then um, you know it just it makes sense that uh, Vekic, Mertens, players you'd circle as fitting that criteria. So a fantastic wim- weekend of women's tennis, and again with the quarterfinals with Benchich and Andrescu, Serena still alive, Vekic, Mertens, Svitolina, Kanta, Wang. I mean, 
so many talented players. It's going to be a fantastic, you know, fa- a fantastic ride to the finish, and we look forward to watching it here at Cracked Rackets. But with that being said, let's switch gears. Let's talk about the men because they certainly did not disappoint in terms of the entertainment. You look at the first result. I think we have to talk to a result no one saw coming. Well, maybe you could, you could have made a case, right, that Stan Wawrinka. You know, he has the weapons when he plays his best tennis to actually, to beat Novak Djokovic, you have to hurt him, right? You have to actually hit him off the court. And the reason he has so much success is because hitting Novak Djokovic off the court is probably the hardest thing anyone has ever been asked in the history of tennis to do, right? It's only Roger Federer when he plays his best or the relentlessness of Rafa that you can, or, you know, a prime Andy Murray who maybe physically could match Djokovic who could make cracks in the Djokovic uh, wall that just is Novak Djokovic. But it, it wasn't a healthy Novak Djokovic, as we saw in Stan Wawrinka, a 6-4-7-5-2-1 winner in this match. I mean, you don't want to dis, you know, you don't want to say, well, Stan only won because Djokovic was injured, because that's not fair to Stan, who did all the things you want to do when you're playing a hobbled player in this match. You know, for Stan Wawrinka, he's always going to make his opponent uncomfortable, but in this match in particular against Novak Djokovic, was, you know, he knew I have to go big backhand down the line. When I see it, there's no opportunities for me to waste time. I, you know, I've got to take this to him. I've got to be the aggressor. And he did a very good job of doing that. But, you know, he made, he made 54% of his first serves, but wins 84% of those points, 56% of his second serve points. Um, more importantly, though, holds Djokovic only one of five on breakpoint opportunities. But for, for Djokovic, I mean, you know, he made 60% of his first serves, but it just, the, the serve didn't have juice. You could tell his, his body was bothering him. You saw a lot more backhand slices than you're accustomed to. You saw him try to go to the drop shot to try and end points early. 15 winners against 35 unforced errors is not a typical Novak Djokovic performance. I mean, Stan, again, played in the margins, only 17 winners against 19 unforced errors. He let Djokovic self-combust. He did—it was a very veteran match from Stan Wawrinka, right? He played smart. He, When Djokovic raced out to an early break, he didn't panic in that second set. He stayed calm. He knew he was getting his chances. Stan uh, goes 4-7 of seven on breakpoint chances in this match. He stayed the course, and look, Novak Djokovic losing— this draw is wide open, and you don't want to say Stan. I, I would probably say still Rafa Nadal, the the favorite. Everything for him has broken beautifully in this draw. He finally gets tested against Chilich, but that's the first test he really has. Plus, he you know he uh, I think he got a withdrawal earlier in the tournament as well. But he beat Tian Chung solidly in straight sets. He now matches up in his portion of the draw. I believe he's got um, either I think he's got Schwartzman who knocked out Zverev now, and you know. Uh, to be five foot seven and have to deal with Rafa's ball three out of five sets. Good luck in that. Um, but yeah, it's just I, it, the draw is open now. I mean, Medvedev versus Stan. We could see Medvedev make a semifinal. You, you're always worried. You know, if Djokovic is there, he's the prohibitive favorite always. But he's not there anymore. And for Roger Federer, your eyes light up. You're like, okay, I lost a slam that probably should have been mine at Wimbledon, and. You know, we talk about the greatest of all time debate. I'm sure he doesn't think about that, but I know he wants to get to number 21. And obviously, if he gets to 21, that helps pad his stats. But that top half of the draw now, Stan, Medvedev, uh, Dimitrov, like if you're Federer, you're all in on that. And so, 
Yeah, Novak Djokovic, there, there's a spiral effect. And again, Roger Federer, who's coming off a 6-2-6-2-6-0 win over David Goffin, is playing as well as he's you know played this tournament. That was his first comprehensive dominant win. And you have to wonder, you know, is David Goffin, you know, whatever, mentally the wear down from the Cincinnati final, maybe it's just a Federer thing where he just he couldn't hurt Federer. And just from the get-go, it just looked that way. But Roger's got to be feeling confident now, and he'll match up with Grigor Dimitrov, who, again, just you looked at his draw. It was wide open for Grigor, the way Borna George hadn't really been playing that much since Wimbledon, the way, you know, Milos Raonic pulled out. He was the one with experience, and for Dimitrov, a 7-5-6-3-6-4 winner over Alex Dimenauer, who, you know, is as solid as they come, he's regaining his form. This is everything he needed. Uh, for Grigor, he was, you know, falling outside of the top 50. He was just on the precipice of just no good results. This year. just could not find, on the precipice of really falling out of relevancy tennis-wise. And for him now to make the quarterfinals here, I mean, you look in the live rankings, he's not going to be jumping back into the top 20 anytime soon. Don't be crazy. But for Grigor, this saves him, I don't want to say from falling out of the top 100, but he's now back in the top 50, right? He's number 42. He's still going to get into Masters events he's going to get into whatever he wants down the Asia stretch so he can use this result as you know a way of carrying himself propelling himself forward taking the next step back in terms of not necessarily a comeback but just in terms of regaining his form his footing inside you know we'll say the top 30 at first and from there you make jumps and he's now going to have that opportunity which you couldn't have said before and again this could not have come at a better time for Grigor Dimitrov but Look at the other winners from day one. The last one, Daniil Medvedev, 3-6-6-3-6-2-7-6 over Dominic Kopfer, ending the run of the Tulane, former Tulane All-American, former college world number one player who played a great match, but Daniil Medvedev, man. I mean, we could talk about the crowd thing, but I feel like that's going to be more fun when I have Max Rothman back on the podcast. I love a good troll who wins. I think, you know, if he's going to keep the crowd interactive for the sport, that's a net positive, you know, the booze, whatever. I don't like when the New York crowd's screaming double fault as Andrescu goes to serve. Um, I don't love that they're booing Djokovic off the court after he's injured, but you can understand why they'd be upset. They're not getting their money's worth, but still it's an injury. Come on, people, show some class. That being said, I love the Medvedev effect, right? The way he's soaking it in, the way he's keeping the crowd engaged throughout the match. They're making noises at all times. You love that, and he feeds off it. He's a winner today. I mean, the guy just is so solid on a hard court. How do you beat him? I, I just, you know, you have to hit him off the court as well, and given his length, the way he's able to leverage his movement at 6'6", six, six, the way he's able to serve because he's six foot freaking six. Special talent, special player, really fun to watch, and again, him versus Stan now. Wawrinka, uh, not, I mean, Wawrinka probably is like, all right, I can make another semifinal. But Medvedev's like, oh my God, I can make a Grand Slam semifinal. And then why am I going to be afraid of Roger Federer, Grigor Dimitrov? You know, like, I, I can beat those guys. I'm playing as well as anyone right now. And so, yeah, look, again, top half of the draw shaping up to, to have a really, really fun home stretch. But then you look at yesterday's results. I mentioned Rafa, a 6-4, uh, or 6-3, 3-6, 6-4, uh, 6-1, uh, sorry, 6-3-3-6-6-1-6-2. Let's try that again. Winner over Marin Chilis, the number 22 seed. A match played indoors because of all of the rain, so that had to have helped the 6-6 Chilis. Can you imagine being 6-6 and playing indoors and just having the skills of like a top 20 player? That's got to be the most fun thing in the world. 
Um, but yeah, you know, he was a winner. I, he, he was tested, but then when tested, he rose to the occasion, which that's the signs you're looking for from Rafa down the home stretch. Is he healthy? Can he rise when tested? And yes, and yes to both of those questions. So, you know, we'll talk more Rafa, I'm sure, throughout the week. Uh, Gael Monfils takes advantage of drawing Paulo Andujar in the fourth round after Monfils' huge five-set win over Chapo in the third. He cruises 6-1, 6-2, 6-2 for Monfils again. Now he's going to get, what, Matteo Berrettini to make the semifinals of a major. Uh, we forget how well Gael Monfils was playing earlier in the year, but this is exactly how he drew it up. He's like, oh my God, and then he gets a shot at Rafa. Like, that's, again, this is... It's perfect for him. At this point, you want to know who I'm rooting for, and I'm, I'm rooting for good tennis, one, but two, anyone but Rafa or Fed to win this. Like, uh, Can you imagine him on Feast title, the reaction, how much fun we'll have celebrating that at Cracked Rackets, but just the tennis you're going to see down the stretch for him to make that sort of thing possible, the jumping overheads we're going to get, the flashy forehands down the line. Ugh, I'm all in. I'm all in on a month. And he showed the level, so there's no reason he can't. But you look at now, I mentioned he's going to play <clears throat> Matteo Berrettini, a 6-1, 6-4, 7-6 winner over Andre Rublev in a match that really should have been Nick Kyrgios versus Berrettini. But save that rant for another time. Yeah, Berrettini, big serve, big forehand, beautiful abs. I mean, the, the guy is jacked. Uh, he swings at his forehand, and I'm afraid. Like, you could tell Rublev's like, oh, no, here comes the forehand. And he would start reaching or lunging, and he's just like, because you know Berrettini's going to crack it, and he plays big tennis. And, yeah, you know, Berrettini had a chance to serve for the match at 6-5, didn't even get to a set point, double faults the break away for 6-all to rebound and take that third set breaker 8-6. That's the sort of leap you have to do. You have to get through some adversity to make the quarterfinals. And, look, Matteo Berrettini with his serve, how young he is, the fact that he does seem physically fit enough for the occasion, that really could be enough, given everyone's banged up. It's the home stretch. It's the last major. All these guys have a ton of matches under their experience. Berrettini plays quick, clean tennis, and that could really be helpful for him uh, as we look to finish this out. And then the last result I'm going to talk about, uh, this one hurts, Diego Schwartzman, a 3 winner over Alex Zverev. And look, I say this lovingly. I've never seen someone epitomize, you know, I'm such an Alex Zverev fan of the talent just that he oozes with every shot he hits to do what he can do movement-wise, uh, ground stroke-wise from the baseline at his size, six foot six. It's, it is the future of tennis. Like if you've seen it in person, you know. You, you watch some players, and you're like, that guy does it differently. This is the guy I want to watch because there's no way people can compete with him. But he, today's match epitomized him playing not to lose. He didn't play to win the match. He was six feet behind the baseline. He was so passive, so many break points. He goes you know, 5 of 16 on break point opportunities. Uh, the big thing, you know, 11 aces against 17 double faults. And here's a fun stat from Tennis Twitter for all of you guys, you know, who follow. I believe it comes from, um, I want to say it was Jose, who was it, who sent out this tweet? Sorry, I'm looking it up now. Nope, it was Enrico Maria Riva, at Enrico Maria Riva, who sent out 2019 double fault leaders in slams. Alex Zverev has 131, Benoit Paire 105, Marin Cilic 85, Djokovic, 79. Think how many more matches Djokovic has played than those other guys. But for Alex Zverev to be at 131, 
I mean, that's just not going to... That epitomizes, I'm afraid. I'm playing not to lose. I'm. He hit like a 67-mile-per-hour second serve like down the center to Diego freaking Schwartzman, who I love. You know, you're not going to get more heart. You're not going to get more hustle. You're not going to get more intensity. You're not going to get, you know, incredible shot making. I have a friend who texts me who says, if it's ground stroke games up to 21, Diego Schwartzman's the number one player in the world and has the best ground strokes, the way he just attacks, 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 and moves directions, keeps you uncomfortable. But I mean, Alex Zirev, 17 double faults, 15 of 47 on second serve points. Schwartzman has 18 break opportunities, 43 winners for Zirev against 65 unforced errors. I mean, really, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing here, Alex? And, you know, there's a ton of off-court stuff for him going on, and that's been talked about plenty by others. But it's just, you know, you talk about winners and losers for Taylor Townsend. Alex Zverev, a winner by making his first fourth, first fourth round at the U.S. Open. But I don't know how you watch this match and not have him in the loser category because this was such a winnable encounter for him. He was up breaks multiple times in multiple sets of this match. He had multiple breakpoint opportunities, multiple game point opportunities for himself while holding serve that he would butcher. You know, you look at the total points one, uh, Zverev 117 to Schwartzman's 140. That just doesn't feel right. It felt like a closer match than that. It really did feel like Alex Zverev had control of so many points and then he just let it go. I mean, I don't know, quarterfinals French Open this year, fourth round U.S. Open, not horrible, but you just want to know when is he going to make that semifinal breakthrough, right? This was wide open for him at the very least to get the quarters and challenge Rafa, get another experience at that, you know, another shot at the big three at the slams, but yeah, you just have to wonder when when's it going to come for him, and a lot of changes going into this next offseason should help him clear his head a little bit. There won't be as much off-court shenanigans. He'll be able to focus on the tennis. Uh, but it's just, it, it was tough to watch that match. It, it hurt me as a Zverev, as a next-gen fan, because you could just tell this was not a guy comfortable on the stage in a moment where he really deserved to be comfortable. He should have felt comfortable, especially after winning that first set the way he did, 6-3, and just the opportunities he had in that third set as well. It kind of felt like the Rayonich match round of 16 from, what, two years ago at Wimbledon, maybe three he was up two sets to one, and he he had so many chances in the fourth, really should have put it away, and then when he couldn't, it uh, just kind of went downhill from there. But yeah, I mean, we'll see much more Alex Vierv. And for Diego Schwartzman, again, huge credit to him, who plays a really solid match. 61% of his first serves go in. He wins 65% of those points, 52% of the second serve points, 23 of 34 at the net, 8 of 18 on break points. You know, 34 winners against 43 unforced errors. He let Zverev make the error. You know, this was a three-hour four-set match. It became very physical, and it, it was a ton of fun to watch, I guess, tennis-wise, but just mentally frustrating to see Zverev struggle the way he did but with that being said last thing I want to do quickly I mentioned them already but I do want to say again the matches we're going to see today on Tuesday you look on the women's side I mentioned Svitolina plays Kanta you look at their career head-to-head I believe they have played uh, Kanta has won none of the times Svitolina has won four of the occasions they most recently played in 2018 Svitolina beating Kanta 6-3, 6-4 in Canada and then in Brisbane 1-6-7-6-3-2 reti- uh, retirement they also played 2016 Svitolina winning in three sets Svitolina 3-1 and one winner in 2013 but we won't even count that but yeah the big thing Svitolina so as I mentioned she's 4-0 and all four of those wins have come on hard courts 
definitely my favorite to take the win, although Joe Conte has played such a high level, and in general, it's going to be a great match, but I would say, yeah, she's the favorite for me. You look for Serena. I don't believe she has played Chang Wing ever, um, but you know that's going... I mean, Serena, I think she banged up her ankle, and, you know, Serena matches... If you're not watching Serena at this point, well, you're not going to watch her. You're going to have... There's not that many chances left, so please, everyone's going to be turning into that. On the men's side... We get Fed versus Baby Fed. Sure, it's not the sort of matchup we expected. You know, they're not both seeds. They're not top five seeds. It's not the transition we expected. Federer's going to give the mantle to Grigor, but for Grigor, 0-7 against Roger Federer in their career. They've played one, two, three, four, five, six of their seven matches on hard courts. Grigor's gotten sets on only two of those occasions, both in 2016 when he lost to Federer in four sets in the third round of the Australian Open and in three sets when he lost in the quarterfinals of Brisbane, but has not gotten a set off him since 2016. I mean, what's Roger Federer's looking? He, it's a better looking mirror. You know, he's like, damn, this, you know, I look pretty, pretty good looking today. I'm pretty tall, pretty slim, pretty athletic and, you know, gorgeous face. But for Federer, he's like, oh, wait, but I don't hit my one-hander like that. My one-hander is way cleaner. I'm way more confident with my forehand, with my serve. And so, I don't know if Federer can do to Dimitrov what he did to Gofen. Good luck for Grigor. You have to wonder if he's thinking at this point, look, I made the quarterfinals. This is a win for me. But Grigor's going to come out swinging. I'm hoping he steals at least one set, but I'm more and more worried. I'm not worried. If you're a Fadal fan, you were a winner of week one because we're looking more and more likely to get our first ever Federer Nadal U.S. Open encounter. That being said, what do I got to do to get a non-big three slam title? Seriously, do I stop? Like, what do I have to do podcast-wise? I'm willing to. I'll sell out. I'm always down to sell out to a good corporation. Shout out to the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Shout out to Sinclair Broadcasting Group um, because that is our new, you know, I was thrilled to be a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. But uh, just please, 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 a Dimitrov over Fed upset. Who wouldn't enjoy seeing that? And then our last match, Daniil Medvedev versus Stan Wawrinka. They've only played once. It was Wimbledon 2017. If you guys remember, that was really Daniil Medvedev's big breakout win when he beat Wawrinka in the first round, 6-4, 3-6, 6-4, 6-1. But again, that's outdoor grass. Wawrinka has never been the most successful on grass. A hard court much more suited for him. For Medvedev, you have to wonder how much he's got left in the tank. He talks, you know, every match something's hurting. His abductor, his shoulder, this, that, the other. And he's played so much tennis in 2019. But, I mean, this is going to be... At this point, if you're just in the quarterfinals of a slam and adrenaline's not pumping you through, you don't deserve to win the slam. So I'm looking forward to a high a high degree level of shot making from Stan, a high degree of defense from Daniil. It's... There's going to be flipping. There's going to be passing shots, backhands down the line. There's going to be big serves out wide. I expect Medvedev to be standing all the way at the outside of the alley to try and make you know Wawrinka think he's going with the kick serve on the ad side to go to the one hander, and then of course Medvedev's just going to be firing serves down the tee at Stan. You know the way Medvedev loves to set up uh, serve plus one backhands is one of my favorite features of his game. It's going to be a really high level of tennis, so be on the lookout for that. And if you've missed anything from this year's U.S. Open, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You know the deal by now on the podcast. Like, rate, subscribe, review. Please, we want to know 
what have you what have you thought about our kickoff you know since we've joined the tennis channel podcast network is there anything else you want us to do as we move forward you know now you can sort of see the post u.s open horizon are there any big topics you'd want us to tackle uh, we look forward to doing all of those things our constant stream of guests on cracked interviews i mean recently steve johnson vicky duvall jensen brooksby mitchell kruger just such a fun selection and obviously all of our college tennis and interviews from the past on there as well so go give those a listen uh, i promise they hold up well again for more immediate updates throughout the day twitter instagram youtube facebook it's at cracked rackets that's where you can find us a huge shout out as always to our super producers max flickner and daniel westoff who do have a editing job to do but with that being said for those super producers flickner and daniel westoff for our entire teams at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin and you know what we say that's the break and we hope you enjoy the first half of the quarterfinals everyone Thank you.